0: together and everything started taking shape that we got to the end and there's four pieces missing. Would that bother you somewhat? If you're OCD like me, that would really bother me. That although we can see what the picture is, there will always be four pieces missing. This puzzle that we work so tirelessly upon is going to be incomplete forever. Now I want you to picture that this puzzle is alive. And that it's made up of people. And that as people, we all fit together to form this beautiful picture. But when it comes right down to it and we get to the end, there's a few pieces that are missing. Or there are some pieces that refuse to fit. Or there are some pieces that have decided they don't want to be joined together and they might even change shape a little bit so that they don't have to join to someone else. I wonder if that's how God feels when he looks at the church and he sees people who refuse to fit. Or he sees folks that refuse to be a part of the puzzle. They just, they just exempt themselves. How do you think that makes God feel? Do you think it frustrates him perhaps? to look at this picture and see that it's always going to be incomplete because just a few pieces refuse to fit. You know, we see this in our world all the time. We see a couple that gets married and they recite the vows and they leave the church building and they go on their honeymoon and they return and they begin their lives together as one. They have children, they have a career, and as time goes on, life just gets in the way. And they stop making one another a priority. And maybe they don't even get divorced. They just move away from one another in a sense. They, they become roommates or business partners and nothing more. We see it in the workplace where someone is, is trying to get ahead and, and so they talk about other people behind their backs and their coworkers and they make up rumors or lies so that they can climb the ladder ahead of them. Or we see it in our relationships, maybe with friends or maybe even a family member that we are very close to, and then one day they stab us in the back or they betray us, and we think, how could they do something like that? We see it in our world all the time, where there's there's this disharmony and this disjointedness where people refuse to come together, they refuse to work together, they refuse to join themselves to one another for whatever reason, because they're selfish and they're prideful. And unfortunately, we even see it in the church. Our churches are full of individuals that, rather than being a piece of the larger puzzle, they are that oblong piece that just doesn't seem to want to fit. Or they're the missing piece that's needed to complete the picture. You know, Facebook has created a scenario for this. They've created a label for this scenario, I should say. It's called, It's Complicated. You can define your relationship. When it says relationship status, you can define it as it's complicated. In other words, it's, it's, it's hot and cold, it's, it's off and on again, it's teetering on the brink of failure, but right now I just don't know how to describe it any other way than it's complicated. It's hard to define. Many Christians could well define their relationship with God that way. And when our relationship with God is complicated, it complicates other relationships as well. It complicates our fellowship within the church. A committed relationship to God and a committed relationship to one another, they should, they should look the same, right? The two should go hand in hand. A love for God should mean a love for one another. And the scriptures are replete with passages that define this or describe this. And we talked about some of them this morning, like 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. A piece of scripture that we use quite often when talking about this kind of scenario is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks about how there are many parts of the body, but all of them come together to form one body and so that it functions properly. So you have a hand, you have an eye, you have a foot, but all of them come together to function properly. Sometimes... A part of the body chooses voluntarily not to function. And when that happens, the body is deformed. And the body doesn't function properly. Another part of the body is having to pick up the slack, and so it has to work extra hard, right? The whole analogy of how, you know, church oftentimes looks like a football game where 22 people are actually doing all the work and, and 80,000 fans sitting in the stands, cheering them on, doing nothing, right? So many times that happens because people are unwilling to pull their weight. know we sing a beautiful song from time to time that I think defines precisely what I'm getting at and the song is entitled blessed be the tie that binds and the message of this song centers on the blessedness of unity and fellowship that comes from being in Christ it speaks of the unique and profound sense of oneness that can be found in a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with other Christians and I want to examine this unique relationship that we have as I've said a couple of times here recently We have something here that the world can't offer, that the world doesn't understand, that it may seem weird or or unusual, but certainly we can create something right here that, that no other place in the world can offer. But before I speak about the tie that binds, I want to talk to you about the lie that blinds. Why do so many individuals find a relationship with God to be complicated? Is it really that complicated? Is it really that difficult? As we talked about this morning, every man is as close to God as he wants to be. But the problem is that there are a couple of mindsets that are brought into the church that I think cause us to to be blinded maybe by what the real role and responsibility is for each and every Christian. There are two extremes really. One of them is, I am an insignificant piece of the puzzle. I think there are a lot of people who think that. They never get involved. They never infuse themselves into the life of this body because they figure I'm an insignificant part of the puzzle. My peace is not necessary. And so therefore, I'll just sit back. I'll let everybody else do what they do because you don't need me anyway. I want to tell you something this evening. If that's the way you feel, please hear me say this in love. You could not be more wrong. There are no nobodies in the church. No matter what your role, no matter what your body part is, it is significant. A major problem is we suffer from this thing called comparisonitis. And we're constantly comparing ourselves to someone else to see if we measure up. And we do that even in the church. And we think, well, I I can't do what Mike does, or I can't do what Chris does, or I can't do what James does, and so therefore, I'm not needed. I'm not significant. And I think we've done a great disservice to folks in the church by elevating certain roles or positions as if they are more important than anything else. Chris McCurley is not the centerpiece of worship, nor is the song leader, nor is the one who leads a prayer. It's just different roles, right? And while some roles are more public, and while some roles receive more attention and perhaps praise, and so therefore we assume they're more important, they all make up a bigger function. What happens is we get prideful and, and sometimes egotistical, and, and so we want to we promote ourselves as being more important than what we are. And it's hard for the other folks that think they're insignificant already and they think, well, I'd never measure up to that. I can't contribute anything here. But you know as well as I do that there are those secret servants that are absolutely vital to the health of a congregation. Nothing would get done if we didn't have them, right? They're working behind the scenes and they're doing things that many times we don't even see. And because they're humble, they don't promote themselves and we don't ever even really know about it. But things get done because of them. Case in point today. We could not have pulled off the open house today and that fellowship meal without so many behind-the-scenes folks. There were people up here yesterday and Friday trying to get things going and working, doing a trial run so that they didn't get up here and, and realize that they didn't know how to work something or do something in the new kitchen. It takes an army. And it's not always the general or the ones on the front lines Many times it's those that think they're insignificant. It's those that, that sit back and, and do the things that maybe nobody else is willing to do. The secret servants that step in and do the things that, that maybe seem insignificant. You know, a foot may look at a hand and say, I don't count. Look at the hand and how skilled it is and all the things that it can do. But I think Paul is getting across, and I think the Holy Spirit through Paul is trying to get across, you know, look, no matter what you are, be the best you are. Be the best you can be. If you're a foot, be the best foot you can be. If you're an eye, be the best eye you can be because God doesn't suffer from comparisonitis. God doesn't look at us and say, well, you're not as significant because you're not a hand, you're only an eye. God looks at this body and all the puzzle pieces and they all fit together to form one bigger picture. And so therefore, we're all important. But here's on the other end of the spectrum, a mindset that is deadly. This is another lie that blinds. There's the I am an insignificant piece of the puzzle, and then there is I am the centerpiece of the puzzle. And that mindset can be just as detrimental. While an underestimation of our worth can complicate matters in a relationship with the Lord and His church, an overestimation of ourselves can be detrimental as well. Every congregation, I think, probably has people that are out in the forefront that receive their fair share of the spotlight, so to speak, whether it's preachers, elders, deacons, song leaders. It's easy to turn a role like that into something that is self-serving and self-promoting. We always have to fight that battle and realize that we are just a functioning part of something bigger. We tend to forget that many of the strengths that we admire in one person are often incompatible with the strengths that we admire in another. For instance, the grace of a figure skater means nothing to a sumo wrestler. In verse 27 of first Corinthians 12, Paul wrote, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Paul is saying there is a diversity contributing to unity within the church. The song leader is important, but he's not the most critical piece. The preacher is important, but he's not the most critical piece. The person leading the communion prayer is important, but he's not the most critical piece. Those who serve communion are important, but they're not the most critical piece. The Christians in Corinth had fallen victim to the disease of comparisonitis. That is what Paul is approaching with them, especially when it came to the spiritual gifts Many of them wanted those that were the most visible and the most audible because they believed that those were the most important, not unlike some folks in the church today, perhaps. However, Paul rejected their criteria of evaluation. The sole purpose of these spiritual gifts was to build up the body of Christ. The true criterion of greatness was the gift's usefulness to the body. And the brethren needed to understand that these gifts were simply a gift. And the overall purpose of the gifts... Were to strengthen the body. It had nothing to do with self-importance. It had everything to do with building up the body. Our gifts should serve the same purpose. A month ago, I missed Zoe's graduation. Being on the school board, I had the opportunity to hand her her diploma, and I was so looking forward to that. And about 4 o'clock that afternoon, graduation at 7, I began a a, a regimen that lasted about every 30 minutes. That was awful. I hadn't been that sick in a long time. I had to call David and say, can you call me something in? I can't handle this. About 5 30, I realized as I tried to get ready to still go, I planned on still going. If I had to take, you know, a plastic bag with me, I was going to go and I was going to sit through her graduation. But about 5 30, it became very evident that that wasn't going to happen. And I, I, I really was so upset that I had to miss her graduation. It, it, it hurt my, my heart. That I couldn't get, I mean, I could get sick any other time. Why did I have to get sick in that time frame to miss something so important? But during that sickness, it wasn't just the, it, the stomach bug that was bothering you know, your, your joints ache, your back hurts, you have a headache. If I moved, I got nauseated. In other words, the whole body was suffering. You know, when we have a sickness in the congregation, whether it be comparisonitis or whatever it is. The whole body suffers. A bad headache can stop you in your tracks. A bad backache can make it hard to do anything. It's easy to take certain body parts for granted until you actually need them, right? Or until you must try to function without them. And the body of Christ is very similar. The Lord's church needs all parts working in harmony to ensure that it functions properly. We cannot willfully amputate ourselves, nor can we be a second head or a a third arm. We have to know our role and carry it out effectively. Realizing that it's not about us. And as I've said before, there is no such thing as a zero-talent individual. You say, well, I just don't have a gift. Sure you do. If you don't know what it is, ask somebody around you. Ask your friends. They could probably tell you what it is. But everybody has something they can contribute. You know, when you squeeze a toothpaste tube, it ends up taking its shape. From the outside right eventually you squeeze everything out of it it becomes empty and and it has nothing on the inside and it takes the shape of that force and that pressure that you use to get the toothpaste out if you're one that rolls it it's going to end up all rolled up right if you're one that squeezes it it's going to end up flattened and all the contents squeezed out but conversely a balloon takes its shape from the inside right and so if you blow up a balloon as long as that balloon has air in it, it's going to hold its shape. And that's what we are seeking to be, balloons rather than toothpaste tubes. Our air, the air that is breathed into us, gives us our shape. Rather than being being uh, emptied from the outside, rather than having our contents pushed out of us because we're influenced by the world, because it is pressing down on us. We take our shape from God's word and the unity that is found in Christ. The tie that binds is not earthly. It is not a social tie or a physical tie. Like we talked about this morning, fellowship is not an event. It's not about getting together to have a meal, although that can be a byproduct. Fellowship is not something you do. It's something you have by being in Christ. The tie that binds... Is love and it's not easily broken Colossians 3 and 14 reads beyond all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity some people don't like to talk about this but the truth of the matter is some things in the Bible are more important than others you realize that Jesus himself made a distinction about some things being greater than others and over and over again we see in the Bible that love is the most important It should define who we are. It's our identifying mark. It should be behind everything that we do. And somebody said, well, what about doctrine? Doctrine's important. Love's more important, right? And if you love God, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love God, if you love Jesus, you'll do what what he tells you to do. You'll follow his way. You'll do his will. But love is paramount. Love comes first, right? It's the most important. None of us want to be a threat to unity. I don't believe that. I don't believe any of us here want to be a threat to unity. And to make certain that we are not, we must love Christ more than ourselves, we must love the brethren more than ourselves, and we must place the goal above ourselves, the goal of unity. The tie that binds is based upon the love and unity that Christ makes possible through His blood. No more comparisonitis, no more thinking that I am an insignificant part of the puzzle, and certainly No thinking that I am the centerpiece of the puzzle. We are purchased members of Christ's body, which means that none of us are cheap. So let's not treat each other as such. Blood binds us together. We are blood brothers and sisters. As we said this morning, we all share the same spiritual DNA. This tie that binds us together started with the sacrifice of Jesus. It went to a cross, and it should continue as the love of Christ permeates every fiber of our being. And it should be manifested in bearing one another's burdens, confessing to one another, being devoted to one another, accepting one another, comforting one another, being kind to one another, encouraging one another, stimulating one another to love and good deeds teaching and admonishing one another, forgiving one another, loving one another. Because we're a family. And I think all too often we forget that because, as we said this morning, the cultural mindset is church is something you go to. You go there, you sit down, you look forward. There's so much more than that. We have got to get our mindset wrapped around the fact that we are a body that assembles together at a building, but we're not a building. And we are a family when we leave this building as well. We are a family that comes together to worship. We are a family that leaves here to go out into the world and influence the world. We are a family that breaks up in segments at times, and we get together in small groups, or we get together just as friends. We fellowship with one another in the fact that we enjoy one another's company, but it's so much bigger than that because it's not something you do. It's something that we have as the body of Christ. We are knitted together by a common love, a common faith, a common bond. Romans 12, 5, Paul writes, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Think about that, members of one another. The word members in the Greek means body part or limb. And to be members of one another means that we share a relationship like no other. It's a spiritual condition, a spiritual oneness that can only be experienced in the family of God. And so we sing, blessed be the tie that binds, right? Oldham Lane is roughly 600 pieces of a puzzle trying to fit together. It's a living, breathing puzzle. And unless and until each and every one of us is able to set ourselves aside and understand that there is a bigger picture, this puzzle is going to be incomplete. Unless and until we understand that we all have a role, that we all have a function, we're never going to be as successful as we can be as a body yes there are those who are always ready and willing to take up the slack there are always those who are willing to step in and do more but how many times have you seen someone who did so much and they were so valuable to the congregation that eventually they wore themselves out and stepped away and then you lose good talent good people because they're doing the work of five or ten. I see that with preachers. I, I, I have you know, congregations sometimes, they'll contact me and say, hey, you know, we're looking for a preacher, do you know of somebody? And I say, well, uh, I'll, I'll think about that. I, I mean, um, I'll send somebody your way. Can you send me you know, like a job description or something like that that I can you know, pass along to them? And they'll send this thing that's like five pages long, and you get done reading it, and you go, my goodness, what's everybody else going to do? You've got the preacher doing everything. I have a preacher friend of mine that was preaching at a church in Missouri, and he was teaching class on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. He did the Wednesday night devotional. He preached Sunday morning and Sunday night. He did ladies' Bible class on Tuesday and everything else, other duties assigned. He didn't last very long. They lost a really good preacher because nobody else, including elders, were willing to step up and do some of the work. We can't afford to be wearing people out. We all have a role. We all have a job to do. There are no nobodies in the church. All of you are a significant piece of the puzzle. Let's come together to be a living, breathing puzzle that forms a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. Thank you for listening. If we can help you tonight in some way, if you need the prayers support of this church family, if if you're ready to study the Bible with someone or perhaps you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, Mike's going to lead us in a song. We say every week, don't leave here without being right with God. And please, be ready to leave here and be the church in our community and make a difference. Come now as we stand, as we sing.